Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masechet Ta'anit, daf Kaf Gimel, page 23. Today, as promised, we come to the daf of Choni HaMa'agel, meaning Choni the circle maker. He is colloquially called the Jewish Rip Van Winkle. Yerdena, you're going to get to that story. The beginning of the story, however, at the top of the daf, is really found in the Mishnah, meaning the Mishnah really recounts the bulk of this story of how Choni gives an ultimatum to God that he's not going, he draws a circle around himself. That's why he's called the circle maker, right? Then he will not step out of the circle until God brings the rain and God brings destructive, you know, too much rain, first too little rain, like just a drizzle. And Choni is like, no, that's not rain. And then he brings a storm and Choni says, this is too much rain. It's not going to be helpful to everybody who needs rain. And finally the rain comes in the right amount. And we've already talked about how you know, the fact that Choni did this might not really be the way we're supposed to act with regard to God or Reagan for that matter, but it worked for Choni because of who he was, because he was already considered a righteous person and God clearly responded to him, right? So the recounting of this here, meaning this the story that happened when the people sent the message to Choni Magel to go ask him to daven for them for rain is basically what we've already read in detail in the Mishnah, that very long Mishnah. What happens here is that some of these story, some of this narrative is a little bit expanded upon with with the addition of um, biblical verses, right? Support it all out to which we've seen likes to do that, right? To provide verses that support the text. And um and there's a little bit more discussion of you know how it is that Choni gets to be the one to provide to to produce this kind of miracle right that there's a conversation he has with the students that's recorded and the conversation that he asks that he speaks to God is a little bit more detailed but by and large and I've really tried to like rack my head a little bit to figure out what's really added here what's added here is the fleshing out of the story beyond that I'm not sure that there's any um what like what, new content in terms of the way we talk about content nowadays that there's something additional that's that's not just simply maybe it's not fair to say simply that it's simply fleshing out what's there but that's that's really what i feel that it is we have a little bit more discussion of his faith as he turns to god um and you can read this inside and then we again have shimon ben shetach who was you know quite the leader at the time coming to choni and saying you know you if you weren't you you would have been in trouble here. Um, but instead, he, he's com- he compares him, and maybe this is actually an important d- additional detail, Yordana, that he compares him to Eliyahu um, as somebody who can, you know, with his with his fervor, uh, bring about a change in, really here, it's in the natural world, right? It's in the experience of rain, um, just as Eliyahu was able to kind of bring about God's will on on earth, so to speak. Um, and it's interesting, I just want to say that, like, that's coming off of those Rebbe, uh, you know, Broca, Eliyahu stories of the previous page. So it's just interesting, because we go Dapin without seeing Eliyahu. Now we have sort of two Dapin next to each other that invoke Eliyahu. Right, right. But now I think you should get to the new part, because as this is, you know, as much as it fleshes it out, it's not, it's not the new and exciting, you know, what happened to Choni? Let's find out. Right. And I think what's interesting is sort of this first half of his story is very well known. 
The second half is well known, but in a very different form, which, you know, I, it's actually very parallel to the Rip Van Winkle story, that very famous Washington Irving uh, short story. There are some differences, but uh, as we'll see how this relates to the sort, sort of the ends of Honi's life. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yochanan said, Kol shel tod All the days of a righteous man, Hayam meets the error al mikrazeh. Choni was basically upset about this pasuk. So all of his life, Choni was bothered by this pasuk. Very famous pasuk, right? Right, a song of exaltation, I guess is how we uh, often um, uh, translate this, right? When Hashem will return the captivity of Zion, we will be like dreamers. Um, so this is, you know, from Tehillim chapter 126, verse 1. So Choni said, is it possible for anybody to sleep for 70 years with one dream? In other words, what he's reflecting on is that that first galut, right, of Bayat Rishon, of the first Beit HaMikdash was 70 years. And he's saying, what, what could this pasuk possibly mean? That somebody would actually sort of have slept for 70 years and then return from captivity. How could they be like dreamers? It's interesting to see that Honi is taking this very, very literally. And, but it sort of makes sense with his personality because that whole thing he does with the circle where he says like, I'm not gonna move from this circle. There's something very concrete and very literal about that action as well. And so I think we see sort of the same uh, personality trait when he's taking a very literal meaning uh, and reading of this particular pasuk. Yom So one day he was traveling on a road and he saw a certain man plant, planting a carob tree. Amrle, so Honi says to him, How many years does it take basically for this carob tree to bear fruit? Amrle, he says back to Honi, It takes 70 years. Amrle, so Honi says back to him, He says, Is it clear to you you're going to live another 30 years? In other words, he's saying, Why would you work on something or build something? that, you know, you're not going to see the, 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 the reward for or your effort pay off in your lifetime, right? In other words, he's basically saying this is man, you're not going to live for 70 years. Now, again, Choni was a person who got instant gratification. He prayed, it rained. It wasn't like he said, have it rain in 10 years. He wanted something to happen and happen immediately. And here he's watching a person sort of do an action that's not going to have uh, you know, you're not going to see the immediate consequence of that action. Um, and so the man basically replies, right? Hi, Alma Bechavura Ashkarte, right? This man, you know, found a world containing, you know, of like saying, I found a world full of characters. So just as my ancestors planted these trees for me, right? Even though they would basically never see them fully grown. And so I too plant them for my children. And so what he's saying to Choni is, is he says, no, this is just the way of the world. Our ancestors do for us and they do things that I got to enjoy the benefit of. And now I will do the same thing. And I think that's really an essential piece of civilization is that we as humans do things. We try to make progress, grow the world, improve the world, even though we know we may not be the direct beneficiaries of those things that we try to improve. So what happens? Choni sits down and eats bread. And he becomes very, very tired. Right? And an outcropping of a rock rose around him as he slept. So that reminds me a little bit 
of, uh, you know, what happens with Yaakov and the stones, right? He becomes hidden from sight. So in other words, this rock comes, he falls asleep, but nobody can see him sleeping because this rock is sort of covering him. And he sleeps for 70 years. So he basically wakes up and then he sees what looks to be like the same man picking the fruit from this carob tree. Amarle, he says to him, he says, are you the person who planted this tree? Amarle, Barbara, and he says, no, I'm his grandson. Amarle, Honi says to him, he says, so now I see that I actually slept for 70 years. Now, again, this is exactly what's described in this Pasuk and Tehillim. And also, again, the number 70 is significant for two reasons. One is it represents sort of multiple generations passing. Um, it tends to also sort of be, we say traditionally, sort of the age of wisdom that a person would uh, would get to. And finally, uh, well, so I guess I'm giving three, is, as I mentioned before, it's the number of years of, of the first exile, right? And so he saw that his donkey that he was with actually gave birth to generations of offspring. So I guess the donkey sort of stayed there, but that confirms for him that he actually had slept for 70 years. So now Honi goes home. Azalavita, he goes home. Amarlu, and he says to the members of the household, uh, So he says, is the son of Honi, the circle maker, still alive? Amarle, they answer him, his son is not alive, but his grandson is alive. And so he said to them, I am Honi. They didn't believe him. Because in other words, 70 years has passed, this person disappeared. Of course, they didn't believe him. So then he goes to the house of study. And he hears the rabbi saying, Our teachings are clear to us as they used to be in the years of Choni Hamagal. In other words, that just as the, the, the teachings that we're, we're learning today have no, you know, mistakes or inaccuracies, it's the same way that it was with Choni, uh, who also, you know, taught in a way that had no, no mistakes and no inaccuracies. Because whenever he would come into the house of study, they're describing Choni here. Whatever difficulties the rabbis had, he would resolve for them. So it's interesting that it's not just that Honi is a miracle maker, he also is learned, and he's also a, 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 a magnificent teacher of Torah. Amr Lahu, Honi says him, Anuni, he says, I am he. He's trying to get everybody to realize he's Honi. Lohim Nuhu, they didn't believe him. And they, they did not give him sort of the honor that he was actually due. He becomes very distressed, and he basically prays for, you know, for divine mercy. And he basically, he basically dies. He basically prays that he should die. Amarava, and so Rava says, this is an example of sort of the, the popular phrase, which is very, very famous, right? Which is basically sort of like life isn't worth living if you're not going to be treated respectfully uh, by those around you. Now, very, very interesting story, right? I think obviously people know sort of what the, uh, what the parallel is there. Um, and, um, you know, to Rip Van Winkle, which we won't spend so much time on, but, but it's a different story. Rip Van Winkle's not a good character, uh, but at Washington Irving, I assume, must have been somewhat familiar with this. The other thing to know about Honey is, is that 
there's uh, Josephus also mentions his death as well. Um, it's a little bit different than this story. Um, but um, and it says there that he was murdered um, uh, by Jews because he didn't participate in the in one of the Hashmonim uh, civil wars. Um, so that's also interesting. Um, so this is sort of the Agadic Talmudic version of, you know, and there's a parallel text in, in Josephus. But I think here part of what the story is, is that what we see Choni is sort of a very concrete person. Um, and even when he comes back, he's sort of not able to see what it is that he's sort of his legacy behind him. He's not able to see his legacy. And I think that's the key sort of of what this pasuk is of, you know, hayinu kichomim, right? That we should be um, like dreamers, right? Is the idea of, you know, many of us, we have dreams. We don't necessarily get to see those dreams actually come true. And so I think part of what this pasuk is talking about is that, you know, maybe we should have the ability to actually see the things we dream about actually uh, come to fruition. And what's sad about the Choni story is, is that it's standing in front of him. He sees that his family has continued. He sees that his teachings have continued in the Beit Midrash. And yet he is so stuck on that nobody's willing to believe it's him. There's something about the name recognition that he needs um, that that he's not getting here uh, that really bothers him. And I think we sort of see this sort of, I don't know, like Choni to me is sort of a little bit... Um, He's blinded at the end. He doesn't really see what the legacy is uh, that he really had in this world. There's something it's it, to me. It's a very, very sad, uh, you know, very sad story. I, I just want to give a little credit. I actually had recently learned this story um, uh, with Rabbi Benjamin Lairfield, and we had talked about some of these ideas together. So I just wanted to to make sure to mention that. Um, and anything else you want to mention about this this particularly poignant story? Um, just about the sourcing, I think. Meaning, I think there are a lot of parallels in classical and other literature about this idea of somebody who, you know, misses a, a significant event or a big chunk of time because they fell asleep for however long. And, um, you know, even even Wikipedia has a list. If you look up Rip Van Winkle, you'll look and see, you'll see that there's a bunch of different um, parallel sources going back to Greek literature and Christian literature, and it mentions Chonia Magel in, in, on that Wikipedia page, but the presumption is that Rip Van Winkle himself, that Washington Irving took the story from a German folktale, meaning, which is a shorter story, and it's not as, in, you know, not as developed, and obviously the events that Rip Van Winkle mix, misses are the, um, is the American Revolution, which is a big deal, right, so obviously that's his own invention. Um, I just, I, you know, sourcing the stories that take hold. And I think we talked about this in preparation here, Dana, that, you know, here are two, two aspects of Choni that, that are very well known that children learn them in, in storybooks and, uh, you know, and obviously there's, you know, good lessons to be learned and so on. Um, it becomes very hard, I think, to trace, and, and people do this professionally, right, to trace the sources of the stories as they become the folk tales, and then sometimes you go back and you see it in, inside here in the Gemara or in whatever other parallel texts are texts are out there. Um, and the, again, the idea of somebody missing time by falling asleep is not unique to us, um, and it becomes a little bit more of a challenge to find. You know, sometimes details creep in that were not in the original, or vice versa, details are left out that were in the original. Um, so I think that this is 
the fact that everybody comes to know it and it's part of the part of the culture um, is very valuable. And I think it's remarkable to me how much of it is is perceived. I feel like the very end of Choni's life and all of that isn't quite shared as much because it's a not as picturesque and not so happy. Um, right, it's but- not so happy. And the only other thing I want to mention about this, and then you'll get to his grandsons, is you know the the thing that they mention about him in the Beit Midrash, right? Is that you know is that to say whatever difficulties the rabbis had with the teachings, he would resolve them. But it's interesting that the whole setup of the story is is that he had a difficulty he couldn't resolve. He could not figure out how to understand this pasuk. So I also thought this was like a very interesting contrast. Right, and I think you know the the initial story of Choni is about his piety, and then after that, like the end of his life here is a whole different experience for him. And I think that this is also a certain, I don't know how to evaluate it as commentary, but I think it is commentary on what can happen over the course of a person's life, you know, especially a long life, even if you don't, you know, have a gap of 70 years. Okay. (laughs) What didn't make it into the lore as well, I think, or as much, or maybe not even at all, is the discussion of Choni's grandsons. They are cousins. We have two people here are the children. One is the son of Choni's son, and one is the son of Choni's daughter. And one is well-known, and I would say one is not well-known. So we're going to just quickly, I'm going to quickly go through here. Um, the discussion at first of Abichilkia, that's the first one, and then um, and then we'll come to the second one. Abichilkia, he's the one who's more known. Um, maybe there's also, because there's a street in Jerusalem named after him. Abichilkia Barbure de Choni Amagel, he was the son of the son so when it was time, when the world needed rain, meaning it hadn't rained, which brings us back to Masechet for the record, right? Uh, they would send, the rabbis would send to this guy because he was, of course, the famous Choni's grandson. That makes sense, right? He's going to be the expert in that when they needed somebody to come and pray for mercy to get the rain to fall, he's the logical address. So then one time this happened, and this is the narrative that we're interested in today. They sent a pair of, of rabbis to go to him to ask for him to ask for mercy for the rain to fall. They went to his house, but he wasn't there. They went to the field, and they found him working the ground. So they they said hello, but he didn't answer them back. And I feel like this is the kind of thing where suddenly some someone is suddenly deaf and nobody has any idea. But that's not what happens here. The the Gemara is going to present us with a story where it is not clear why Abachilkia doesn't answer the people who have come to greet him. So what happens in the nighttime? He's gathering firewood. He puts the wood on one shoulder. He puts his cloak on the other shoulder. And then, uh, no, I'm sorry, the whole walk, meaning from the field, I guess, to his house, or from his house out to get the No, yeah, it's from the field to his house because he's got his hoe with him right, on his way home. He's, he's not wearing any shoes. And then when he gets to the water, he puts on his shoes. When he gets to the area that has like bushes and thorns, he picks up his clothes. 
Not, there, I think that's even logical, right? You don't want your things to get wrecked. When it comes to the city, so then this is and this is adding a complication to the story. His wife comes out to greet him, and she's all dressed up. When they get to the house, the wife goes in first. And then he enters, and then afterwards, the two sages enter. Now, what that tells us is it's not like he's oblivious to them, right? They come, they follow him home, and they come into his house, and he still hasn't said a word to them, right? So then he sits and he eats, and he doesn't say to them, come and sit and eat, which is, you know, customary good manners. Rather, he divides up his bread, he gives the bread to the children, he gives one piece to the elder child, and he gives two pieces to the younger child. Now, people nowadays often give, you know, the youngest one some kind of treat or extra because to keep them happy, to keep them quiet. But back in the day, right, this was certainly an expectation that the eldest is going to get the extra. That's the way that works. So everything Abachilke is doing is a little bit backwards and nobody's had an explanation at this point. So then what we do discover is that we have a conversation between Abachilke and his wife. And he says to her, I know that they came to, to get us to ask for rain or to get me to ask for rain, right? So he, he says, let's go up to the roof and we'll ask for rain and maybe God will actually give us rain. And we will not, and this I think is particularly interesting, <laughs> we will not take credit for the rainfall. So they go up to the roof and they each stand in one corner, which is behavior, I'm sure, that is mirroring the prayers of Rivka and Yitzchak that each stood in their own corner to do the prayers. And then... Um, so and then her prayers are the ones that are answered. Right? She gets clouds, anane mahach zavita The clouds begin to form over there where she's standing, but not where he is. Right? So now finally, when he goes back down from the roof, he says to them, Why have you come? Why have the sages come? And they say to him, Well, the other people sent us to you. Well, it's visited in third person, right? In supposed to be a respectful manner of speech, have sent us to you so that you can pray for us for the mercy. For God to bring rain. And he says to them, He says, Blessed is God who did not require you to come to me. Meaning, look, there's already rain. Meaning the the story, the narrative here is basically he and his wife went up to the roof. They davened for rain. Her prayers got the rain to come. They come back down as if they had nothing to do with it. And maybe he had nothing to do with it, but she certainly did. right? And then He's able to say to the members of Chazal who have come to their house, look at that, you didn't even need to come to me. And what he what he's up to is not yet clear, right? It's clear that he didn't want to present it to them as if as if he were responsible for bringing rain or his wife was responsible for bringing rain. But also it seems that it's a, I, I don't, we don't know yet, but it seems that it's a way to get them off his back, right? So then they say to him, like, what, you think we were born yesterday? Not in those words. We know that the rain came on your account. So why don't you just explain to us? What are you doing? Why are you acting so strangely? Why didn't you answer our greeting? Why, you know, what's going on with that? So he explains. He says that he is what's called a sachir yom or a sachir yom, meaning he's hired just for the day. And then his time is not his own. His time is the person who's hired him. And he's not allowed to stop even for it to say hello. So then they say, okay, but then why are you carrying the firewood on one shoulder and your cloak on the other shoulder? He says, It was a borrowed robe. I mean, I borrowed it to wear it. I didn't borrow it to use it to carry the wood. 
So they keep asking him, "My tamakula orcha masane. Why didn't you wear the shoes?" And then you put them on at the end. He says, "Well, all the way, I can be very careful about where I walk, and then I don't need the shoes. But once I'm dealing with the water, I cannot see underneath, you know, in in the water to know what the ground is like. So I, he puts on the shoes to to protect his feet. And then why does he pick up his clothes when he comes to the to the shrubs? And he says, um, his 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 clothing would get damaged if it encounters the thorns, let's say, whereas his feet or his legs, you know, they'll heal. Which, by the way, is a thought I have had any number of times when dealing with, you know, puddles and long skirts and so on. Because I know, you know, it's easier to dry me off than to launder muddy a muddy skirt. Uh, and then lastly, how come those, um, it's not quite lastly, how come the wife came out dressed all, came out all dressed up? And he says to him, and this is quite sweet, I think, she dresses that way so that he is only going to look at her and not anybody else. So it's it's sweet. I mean, I'm sure and we could talk about the ethical and sexual mores of today's world. It might not be so appropriate, but in, but the way it's described is a, a one-to-one connection between the two of them. My time, How come she went into the house first, and then him, and then the, and then they came in? Usually, would say, "Here, you know, come into our house as a courtesy to the guests." He says, "Mishum dolo bedikteli." She says, "Because I didn't check out who you are, so I'm not letting you into my house with my wife before I'm there." So, meaning he, the wife goes in first as a courtesy. He comes in to separate between them because he's not going to give them even a moment alone with them. And then, of course, and they, they're still asking, right? They're asking, how come you ate bread, but there's not enough bread? And, uh, you know, and how come you gave to the older child one piece and the younger child two? And so he answers, and this, I think, is worth seeing just the words here. He says the older child stays at home, and he can eat whatever he wants, whatever he wants. But the old younger child goes and sits in the Baconista. He goes and sits in the synagogue so he gets hungry because he can't just find food at home. And how come? And then lastly, and most importantly here, the the clouds form where the wife was standing. And he explains that she has the merit. She is the one who gives bread to the poor. She is the one who provides that kind of kindness and compassion. So, yeah. No matter, he also gives money to the poor, whatever, but not in the same, not to the same degree, not as frequently, or or with as much regular, regular as the same as frequency, maybe not the same alacrity, the speed to do so. And so then God is going to answer her because she is, in fact, just simply, truly more righteous. And after all of these answers, right, after all of these answers, the sages kind of settle down. And they, they kind of accept that this is the commentary of what's just happened. But the Gemara's presentation of this, I think, is very unusual. We could call it strange, right? That it's got, it gives us the bare bones of the story that was puzzling. And then it gives us the explanation via this grilling of Choni, which I think is um, whatever. I, I think it's an interesting uh, um inheritance, I guess. Choni Amagel's grandson is this one is the one who's kind of avoiding the public eye for his relationship to rain or his potential to bring rain. And then in, lo and behold, it's a wife in the end of it. They get that what they want. The the members of Chazal, they got the rain. That was their goal, right? We end up with a window into Abachilkia that I think is a little bit surprising. Um, well, when, well when, I think part of the piece here is that it's 
you know, I think the Chazal assume it's an inherited legacy. And instead, it turns out it's the whites and not the, the actual relation to Choni. Um, I mean, I think that it is a relation to Choni, but it came first for her because she's more righteous, right? The idea, the presentation of it is that if it hadn't come for her sooner, it would have come for him afterwards. I think that's. I, I hear what you're saying, but the but the white piece is important, and that's what we wanted to point out here. Yes, yes, and then very lastly, and with this we'll close. We have another very quick story here about the the cousin of Abba whose name is Hanan Hanechba Barbarte, meaning he's the son of the daughter of Chonia Magel. And what happens when the world needed rain? So again, Havol Mishadre Rabbanan Yunuki Devei Rav Legabei. So this is the same thing, right? You're descendant of Choni Amagel. You must be, you must have a special connection to God for the for the rain that we need. So they would send, Chazal would send kids to Hanana Nechba and they would grab him by his cloak and they would say to him, Abba, Abba, Havlian Mitra, Father, give us rain. And he would say, He would turn and say to God, He says, He turns to God and says, Please give rain on behalf of these children who aren't yet at the age that they can distinguish between a grown up who's a man, right? The father they call Abba Abba, and Abba, Avinu Shabashamayim, right? God who is in the heavens whose powers are quite different obviously than simply this person um so then then the the command ends with that meaning it doesn't say that then in fact god would bring rain but that that is indeed the implication and then the gemara asks why is he called nechba? and it says because he would chaboy, he would machbi atmo he would hide himself in the bathroom so that people wouldn't bother him with honor they wouldn't come to honor him and, and i'm guessing again it's similar to this abachilkia that the Relationship to to Choni gave them a Yerusha, gave them an inheritance that they didn't necessarily. Um, they it seems like they felt that they didn't live up to it. They they didn't deserve the honor, and that they shouldn't be, and that they shouldn't be treated as special simply because of this connection. Right, and I think it's interesting to see this idea of like sort of inherited power that taps into something. You know, like you know when you see those. TV shows or movies where there's like, you know, people who can communicate with the dead or something, you know, like they can access something in the spiritual realm and it passes from like a grandmother to a granddaughter. This story sort of reminded me of that a little bit. But on the other hand, Yudin, I would say that I think there is something to it that people get something in their homes or in their family traditions of, of the kind of things that the family, a family that's in business, the children know a little bit more no, about negotiating, let's say, or a family that is, uh, you know, professorial or lawyers or doctors like you you we see it that the next generation and even the grandchildren who are not you can't say that somebody who's the child of a doctor and i know you're the child of a doctor and you became a doctor yourself but had you not become a doctor i still believe you would have had more like osmosis medical knowledge than the person who me i was raised in a non-medical household non-doctor household right now yeah i i hear what you're saying i I gotta think about that because we certainly see cases where people are to quote andrew solomon's book very far from the trade i just want to wrap up with one last thought um which is just to pay attention to the last piece of the daf here is another one of those stories which sort of wants to tell us that 
the Chachamim of Eretz Yisrael were much better than the Chachamim of Babel, which is always interesting because this is in the Talmud Babli and not in the Yerushalmi. We don't have time to read it today. Um, our sign up for our CM is out. Please sign up. And I guess with that, we will close. This was a very long talking Talmud uh, episode, but lots of good stuff on this top. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Uh, thank you to our Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrant website. Let us know what you thought about this stop and our Talking Town with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.